Hi grade nines, it's Mrs. Roscoe and this is your November 6th, first chapter Friday. The reason um, I chose the reading I did today is because next Wednesday, November 11th, is Remembrance Day. This is a occasion that is very dear to my heart. It is a, an, um, an observance that my father and I have done together since I was young. And um, I still think it's very important that um, we honor the veterans and the people who sacrificed their lives and other um, and other opportunities in order to fight in the numerous different wars that they have in order for us to keep our freedom. So today, what I decided was um, not to read from a book, but I am going to read from a document from. Uh, the Government of Canada website um, in a article called Canada's Indigenous Soldiers Wove Unbreakable Wartime Code with Native Languages. Um, the reason I decided to do this is because uh, November 8th is actually Aboriginal um, Veterans Day and it's definitely not as widely recognized as November 11th. Um, but their contributions were equally important. So I decided to read this one. Um, number one, because I think the Indigenous people need to be recognized and we need to speak about more about their, contribu uh, their contributions to the war efforts, but also because um, the code talkers in the war were unbelievable. And I just think these the, the stories that go along with them are very cool. So... Without further ado, here is Canada's Indigenous Soldiers Wove Unbreakable Wartime Code with Native Languages. Secrecy and communication during the Second World War was as important as it was difficult. What better way to create an unbreakable secret code than to use a little-known language at its base? Messages, whether in plain language or in code, were constantly being intercepted, stolen, overheard, or deciphered. It was vital that Canada and its allies find a way to send secret messages that the enemy could not decrypt. They finally succeeded towards the end of the war. Termed code talking, it cleverly used indigenous languages to create an unbreakable spoken code. The job was simple, but indigenous in its application. The code talkers could, would translate a secret message into words from an indigenous language, speak it over the radio, and another indigenous soldier would translate it back to English at the other end. One of the languages used that was spoken by the Cree First Nation people of Alberta and Saskatchewan. There were many patriotic Cree men and women who served during the Second World War. And, since Cree were little known and only spoken in Canada, its use as a code baffled enemy forces. Because they were sworn to secrecy during, the during and following the war, few Cree code talkers are known by name. One was Corporal, retired, Charles, also known as Checker, Tompkins. Corporal Tompkins was born January 8, 1918, in Gruard, Alberta, about 170 kilometers northeast of Grand Prairie. 
A Métis of Cree and European ancestry, he joined the Canadian Army's 2nd Armoured Brigade in 1940. Corporal Tompkins' family was unaware that he had served as a code talker until two months before his death in August 2003 at the age of 85. As he had vowed to remain silent, the family only found out when two Smithsonian Institute interviewers arrived at his home in 2003, once the files had become declassified. The interviewers asked him questions for an exhibit the museum was preparing on code talking. Navajo was the primary language American code talkers had used as code for American Pacific defense, a language that does not have a written form. It made it virtually impossible to break. The Cree-based secret code also used spoken Cree, although it had a written form. Varying dialects among the speakers made it even more cryptic. During his interview with the Smithsonian, researchers, uh, Corporal Tompkins discussed few details, but he did name some of his deceased comrades, most of whom he had helped recruit for the Code Talker program. His brother, Peter Tompkins, his half-brother, John Smith, Louis Norwest, Walter McDermott, and Archie Plant. These men served in Charles, Charles's immediate circle and are all Oh, sorry, and are some of the only known Cree code talkers. The six survived the war, but all have since passed away. Corporal Tompkins was called to Canadian military headquarters in London on August 22, 1942, along with a number of other Indigenous soldiers, for a mysterious mission. Soon enough, they learned that they were about to become a secret weapon. Corporal Tompkins estimated 100 men were in the room with him the day that the recruitment, uh, the day of his recruitment as a code talker. Cree speakers, as well as indigenous soldiers from Ojibwe and other First Nations, were tested. Cree speakers were valuable as they were often fluent in other languages, such as French and English, especially if they were Métis, like Corporal Tompkins. The Americans were first to recruit Indigenous people for this task, particularly speakers of Navajo, which was a language that did not have a written form. The American code talkers and their role in the Pacific theater of the war was told in the 2002 movie Wind Talkers. As a result, the American story is much more well-known than the Canadian one. Like the Cree Code, the Navajo Code was never broken. Corporal Tompkins was assigned, along with other Cree speakers, to the 8th U.S. Air Force and 9th Bomber Command in England. He began translation immediately and described orders over the radio for aircraft that were carrying out bombing orders from England, as well as orders for troop movement and supply missions. Cree code talkers were improvisers. Because the traditional Cree language didn't have words for tank, bomb, or machine gun, they began inventing new terminology. For example, Creed code talkers would use the word in Cree meaning fire as code for a Spitfire plane, and the Cree word for wild horse to identify a Mustang aircraft. The Cree would you uh, sorry, the Cree words for B and the number 17 indicated a B-17 bomber. 
Following their time as code talkers, Corporal Tompkins and the others returned to their Canadian units to prepare for the D-Day invasion. Corporal Tompkins was a motorcycle dispatch rider with the 2nd Armoured Brigade, landing in France six days after D-Day. He also served in Germany and Holland. When the war ended, Corporal Tompkins returned home to Canada and re-enlisted in the Canadian Army. He served 25 years with a number of different regiments, including Les Fusiers Le Sherbrooke, the Royal Canadian Army Service Corps, and Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Today, Corporal Tompkins' surviving family members include niece Adèle Ladroute of Gift Lake, Métis Settlement in northern Alberta, and a second niece, Shirley Anderson, who lives in Gruard, Alberta. Ms. Ladrout was uh, has many fond memories of her uncle and his wife Lena, who did not have children of their own. They adopted her following a family tragedy. When we lost our mother, my dad, Louis Anderson, asked his sister Lena to take me in as I was the youngest of eleven children, she recalled. There is so much to say about this great man who fought in the war for us. I am so lost for words. Ms. Anderson that she said she was extremely pleased that her uncle's story was becoming better known. She wrote an article for the Reader's Digest mag magazine Our Canada in 2017 called How Cree Code Talkers from Alberta Helped Win the Second World War. S the service that the Code Talkers provided was essential to the Second World War, said Mrs. Anderson who learned Cree as a child and continues to speak it, as does her cousin. The more the story is told, the more people will hear it, and, hopefully, it will galvanize the younger people to learn their language. It is important to keep the Cree language alive, and this story enforces it, she says. Okay, grade nines, now what I want you to do is kind of settle down and I would like you to um, maybe even close your eyes, relax a little bit. I'm going to read you a poem. You've heard it numerous times. You hear it every Remembrance Day. Um, it's by a Canadian soldier by the name of John McCrae and the poem is called Flanders Fields. Um, after the poem is over, I'm going to give you about 45 seconds of silence and I would like you to please just, um, as we have those 45 seconds, to reflect on what you've heard, what you've read, what you know about um, the sacrifices that people who have fought in wars for us have done, and maybe reflect on how, um, how that affects your life today, and maybe how you can pay it forward somehow. In Flanders Fields by John McRae. In Flanders fields the poppies blow between the crosses row on row that mark our place and in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow. Loved and were loved and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high.
If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. Okay, everyone, that is it for this week. Um, I hope you enjoyed this installment of First Chapter Fridays. Uh, next week, we will get back to reading actual novels. Um, anyways, have a great weekend, and we will read to you next week. Bye.